Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Anand Patel. And I'm Naomi Sheldon. And we're your hosts of The Pleasure Podcast. I'm a doctor specialising in sexual function. And I'm a writer with an interest in the internet. We talk to guests to help us understand the relationship we have with our bodies when it comes to sex and intimacy. It's a whole new kind of sex education for your owl... Careful. ...pleasure. (laughs) (laughs) This week on The Pleasure Podcast, we welcome a woman who has heard it all. It's the multi-award winning writer, broadcaster and sex educator, Alex Fox. Alex co-hosts the BBC Radio 1 show Unexpected Fluids, in which real-life tales of sexual fails are used as a springboard for constructive conversations. She's a script consultant for the hit TV series Sex Education, and she's fronted her own X-rated Agony Aunt segment, answering listeners' most intimate queries in the foxhole on the Modern Man podcast. Her writing can be found in publications spanning from The Guardian to Vogue. She's next year's judge on Love Honey's designer sex toy competition, and I can't think of anyone I'd rather confide in about my sexual concerns. We speak to Alex about the experience of being an X-rated agony aunt and what questions she commonly gets asked. She guides us through an array of sex toys and gives us golden advice on how to keep sex in long-term relationships fresh. Every single time I think I have received the most unique, most idiosyncratic email ever, someone will come and just knock that one straight out of the park, you know. For a long time when I was at Bazaar magazine, I used to get regular letters from a chap who, like many people, was into pain. He discovered that if he inflicted in a controlled, well-researched manner, some pain upon himself. And his body would produce endorphins, our natural painkillers, if you will, and he'd get a bit of a buzz from that. For lots of people, that kind of thing is sexually stimulating. Uh, And he was uh, into using things from nature to inflict that pain. He was an an older chap, and uh, he would send me printed photographs of him doing things like uh, using stinging nettles to tickle his bell end. Mm -hmm. He then graduated to um, sticking his whole knob in a pot of mosquitoes. And then a particular pièce de résistance was he spent the day with a jam jar in the sun catching wasps and then trying to get them to sting his gonads. So... Naomi, you look a little taken (laughs) aback by that. It's going to get worse. Uh Now, have you ever heard of sounding? It's inserting a probe into the urethra. But our friend in Norfolk decided that he wasn't going to use a standard probe. He was going to dig up an earthworm, rinse it under the kitchen tap, freeze it in his domestic freezer, and then attempt to feed that up his penis. These were snappy snaps photos, so somebody... Had to develop these babies. Somebody developed those babies, yeah, exactly. There was someone in his local town who must have known what was going on So in why the was shed. he contacting you? Uh, in his case, he just wanted to tell somebody about uh. it. 
a lot of the emails and, and contacts that I get aren't just people who have a question, it's people who really want an outlet. They just want the relief of having told what is often a big old secret to did somebody. You, did you occasionally wonder that he was getting some sexual satisfaction with showing it to you? This is something I've thought about a lot because in a way there's a consent issue there. I haven't always consented to receiving uh, descriptions or graphic photos. It's a funny one because I do invite people to share their stories with me now. That is the premise of one of the shows I do. Unexpected Fluids is real life tales of sexual fails. But sometimes people's judgment on how much I'll want to know about how much they enjoyed something or how graphic uh, I'll, I'll want to hear is, yeah. It, but I appreciate that in that context, it might be quite hard for them to, to judge. I think a lot of health advisors or people who provide a service often get put in positions where there seems to be a boundary shift, where someone would like to push through that boundary and impinge upon a slightly more salacious or sexual nature of the conversation. I mean, it happens to doctors, it happens to nurses quite a lot of the time. And, you know, we, we become aware as healthcare professionals of, of what's going on. And you kind of go, OK, I realise now this is what you're coming for. The clear yes. boundaries here. Am there's I transference of... issues, I would imagine. And also, you can imagine people who have been holding a lot of shame and fear about their particular predilections, suddenly able to share it with someone, might somehow bundle all of their desires then on that person that they're finally able to discuss something with. That in happens a, way. a lot. I'm committed to authenticity in what I do. And when I am talking to somebody about something very private, I am really engaged with what they're telling me and I want them to trust me. It's not just work that I want them to be well. However, sometimes, naturally, through that exchange, especially if it is the first time that somebody has ever told anyone about something that's very sexually loaded for them, then they can attach an emotional significance that's much more personal than I can cater to. I found that a bit heartbreaking in the past, to be honest. There's been several incidences, for example, of somebody talking to me about their trans status and they felt that the conversations that we've been having that I viewed as being caring yet professional, they thought it was the beginning of a relationship or they wanted it to be the beginning of the relationship. And I've had to develop strategies for navigating that in a way that don't make that person then feel like the first person they trusted let them down of course. or disappointed them somehow. Yes. But equally, I can't be all things to all people. No, and you have to protect be, yourself as well. Yeah, and I have to be professional. Like, as I say, it's never a dull day. Um, <laughs> but there are definitely those out there who try to cheekily exploit that very carefully honed balance. I see you in my DMs saying to me, oh, Alex, I'm finding it really terribly hard to know how to tell my wife that I'm very, very excited about going and having sex in cars. 14 pages of A4 describing what they did in, in their cars. In huge amounts of explicit detail. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. And, and is it always as obvious as this when it's somebody just try, trying to... Oh, I've developed a very tingly, spidey sense. Yeah. But... You often get asked about open relationships 
uh, we spoke to Jason Domino in a previous episode and I thought it was really interesting that he felt it's a very positive experience to allow his partner to be in situations where their love or sexual attraction might be challenged by another sexual partner. That had a massive impact on me hearing Jason say that, that of all of the people out there, including the people that you're kind of... Um, Pick a mixed tribe before you're buying, if you get me. He is getting to sample other bodies in his life and, and other personalities, and the same for his partner, and yet they are both coming back to each other. There are parallels there with polyamory or consensual non-monogamy. Again, I've spoken to a lot of people who have various versions of those relationships setups and I absolutely believe them when they say to me oh it takes practice but there is this feeling have you heard the term compersion before yeah. it's like the inverse of jealousy if you experience compersion it means that when you hear about or witness your partner being happy with someone else that rather than feel envious or threatened that you feel delighted that someone you care about is happy, even though that happiness isn't directly coming from you. I can absolutely believe that that is true. I find it very hard to imagine myself feeling like that. Um, but as I, it's been, do you know what? It's been a real delight for me. I'm 37 now. It's been wonderful for me to get older and find that my attractions to people have hugely broadened, the types of folks that I find attractive, and also my expectations of what I'd be able to handle or that would feel comfortable with me. I'm a lot more willing to question things and to try things out. I'm do you think more that's to do with age? Or do you think that's to do with society becoming more vocal. I just feel like things are starting to change ever so slightly, that the pH levels of societies and yeah, desires of us shifting slightly and it's becoming less conservative in certain pockets, or maybe I'm just moving into a different bubble that I wasn't in before. Well, I wouldn't want to minimize the huge struggles that still exist for many people. There's, there's so much that still oh, very much yeah, needs yeah. to be improved. Oh, yeah. And I'm also aware that I am sometimes in this little sex ed bubble. But having said that, I do think things are edging forward. And certainly, yeah, the conversations that are happening on a macro level are influencing me and, and I'm being prompted to reflect on what a great relationship might look like for me these days or what the possibilities are. However, I don't think I am as radical in my own natural inclinations as many people. I fret sometimes that when folks meet me, they might be disappointed mm. because I am a white cis female who's really quite straight and I'm not as like sexually bonkers about certain forms of bonking as people might assume. I often compare my job a little bit to being a war reporter. You can go to the front lines and report on people fighting without ever having fought yourself. And that means that you have a certain understanding of something but that will never be quite the same as a soldier. But that doesn't mean that you can't talk about war. Mm. Or, uh, or yeah. emphasise about the situations people are in. Yeah, kind of... yeah, yeah, precisely. It's a great thing that we've all become more open and uh, intrigued and enlightened, if you will, about 
talking about kinks and fetishes and exploring kind of the, the more boundary pushing aspects of sex. But one of the less positive offshoots of that is that I think a lot of people like to boast about how wild their sex lives are and how adventurous they are. And there's nowadays a, an assumption amongst many that if you're not having sex tied up in the cat's cradle and with 14 different types of clothes peg attached to your scrotum and you know with 14 different types of people one of whom may or may not be your own father (laughs) then you are boring (laughs) I think there's a lot of people out there who really like to have very loving connected quite simple straightforward sex yes Um, and there is nothing wrong with that I think it's important to talk about this to younger people as well because I hear increasingly from school age and college age young folks who have seen really extreme acts in pornography and assume that that is what a normal sex life does and ought to look like and I think that hand in sticky palmed hand with this idea that straightforward sex is dull is a really toxic combination for a lot of people. Right, let's talk about toys. Some of the things that I've got here are new prototypes. Uh, Some of these are are ancient toys that are out of stock now, but they were innovative in their time. What takes your fancy? Well, I am looking at this beautiful glass number. It's Uh light pink. It almost looks a bit like a tentacle. Tell me more. It does. It sort of looks like a tentacle fused with a tongue, doesn't it? Yes, that's it. Um, This is made by a company called Icicles. It's sort of like a transparent glass dildo with a looped end there. I I think it's really beautiful. Um, This is a piece that I have on display in my room. I I think a lot of modern sex toys are really very stunning to look at. Sort of abstract art, aren't they? Yeah, and that's for a number of reasons, I think. Partly because the line between artwork and sex toy is being deliberately blurred by some people, particularly at the more luxury end of the sex toy market. Secondly, I think there has been a recognition that people don't always want the things that they play with to look like genitals, Mm -hmm. you know, to have that kind of like, um, I call them Ed Vaginas after Ed Kind, the uh, the mass murderer, you know, who made sort of, he collected body parts Uh and stuff. And no shame if you are somebody who likes to wank with something that looks like a very realistic vagina or or penis or whatever but lots of people don't want that they want something that looks more elegant and also I imagine that sometimes what gives you most pleasure isn't necessarily penis shaped or vulva shaped yeah yeah I also I went to visit Love Honey the UK's largest online sex store I went to their warehouse in Bath this week and they were explaining that a lot of cheaper toys that are mass-produced in in China and Taiwan and and other places overseas, are built from the inside out. So you take the motor that you need and then you build the vibrating parts around it and and then you cover it in a silicon or a plastic skin or whatever. And so what you end up with can often look a bit bulky or clumsy or, or not very refined. Whereas the more elegant sex toys that we're seeing come to market now are developed from the outside in. Mm. So you start with a 3D model of something that's that's beautiful and desirable, and then you work out how you're going to fit the tech you need inside it. Mm. That does often come with a higher price tag, but I think we're really changing the way that we approach producing sex aids and, and sex toys. Um, this one, made out of glass, 
That is appealing to a lot of people, firstly because it's more ecologically friendly and it's also really good for temperature play. You can immerse it in hot or cold water and it will retain that temperature. A lot of people fret that a glass sex toy could break inside them. Um, and unless you're doing something really vigorous, uh, these are designed to be pretty hard wearing. I like this one because I think it looks like some kind of fantasy sea creature. And I have a bit of a fetish myself for anime porn and, and my own personal fantasies about aliens and space creatures and sea creatures. I'm not alone in that. There's a lot of that kind of stuff that comes out from Japan for all sorts of reasons. Uh, it partly harks back to uh, historical pieces of Japanese art. Hokusai did that amazing piece with an octopus pleasuring a woman. Yeah. And it's an octopus entering a woman, is that right, uh, with a tentacle? Yeah, yeah, they're, they're in a uh, very embrace. sexual embrace. Yes. Yeah. Um, another reason why that kind of uh, iconography is quite common in Japanese porn is there are certain laws that say you can't show erect penises. So you can't always show a penis going into a vagina, but you can show something else phallic going into a vaginal orifice. And so people got creative and started fucking with tentacles, literally. <laughs> um, I have also thought long and hard <laughs> about why this appeals to me. And I think it's partly because if you are fantasizing about something so spectacular that it is literally not of this world, it is not of this universe, then the normal rules and regulations and worries of human society also do not apply. So I find like fantasizing about, um, about fantastical creatures allows my fantasies to, to really run wild. Yeah, you have free reign. Yeah. It can go anywhere I want it to. <laughs> can I, may I ask about the corked Beatrix Potter pottery type Oh my thing, goodness! Which has a sort of, it's a phallic-ish shaped um, a pottery dildo with a cork in one end and depictions of toadstools with ladybirds and a small deer um, and with... The inscription. So, my love, it's very late till morning comes, let's tessellate. Those are actually song lyrics, and I made this particular po uh, piece of, well, I don't know what you want to call it, cockery, maybe, <laughs> terra cocker. I made that myself. Oh, amazing! Uh, yeah, I went to a workshop run by a ceramicist called Adele Bridges, who's become a friend off the back of that, actually. Adele invites people to come to her workshops and decorate their own dildos. She casts the, the hollow dildos herself, and then you can decorate them however you've feel personally as attractive or Very sexy. Very nice Valentine's Day gift. Yeah, yeah, with, with, uh, with transfers. Um, she says people often come in female groups to decorate the dildos and they're a really good conversation starter. There have been lots of laughter but also lots of tears in her classes, mm. cathartic tears, because we're not often invited to public spaces to engage in such a, a craft-based physical way with the objects that bring us pleasure. A lot of sex and sex toys are shrouded in kind of secrecy and smut and that like nudge, nudge, wink, wink, end of the pier kind of grubbiness. Whereas Adele's toys 
give people an opportunity to really like think about how sex can be beautiful and yes. the objects that we use in our sex lives can be beautiful. Mm. And to make them yourself feels like you have an ownership over them. Yes, so exactly. It's not just some sort of clandestine thing that you've bought and you must tuck away in your bedside drawer. It's something that you've celebrated. Yeah. I love that. Is it your turn? Um, yes. What is this? Okay, this is a sex toy made by a Japanese company called Tenga, who I work with. They're really famous in Japan for making toys designed for people with penises to masturbate with or to be masturbated by someone else. And I think that's a real cultural difference. I think, um, arguably, one of the few ways in which women have the upper hand on men sexually in the UK and Western culture is I think it's a lot more acceptable for women to own and use sex toys to masturbate with than it is guys. And I just don't think that's fair. Uh, when sex toys can not only help to train men if they wish to maintain an erection for longer, they just offer different sensations and different forms of pleasure. And I'm gonna get this one open for you if I can. Um, this is called a Tenga Flip Orb. Right. Um, how should we describe it? It's about the same size as a small packet of hobnobs, I yes. would say, in, in length and girth. Um, and it's for putting your hobnob in. Um, I always think it looks like something from the Apple Store. It's kind of it's white and It's very beautifully designed, isn't yeah. it? And what it consists of is a hard plastic shell that has a soft textured silicone inside with a hole at the base. You pop some lubricant inside the hole and then you insert your penis inside. You can squeeze the edges of it to change the, the, the grip the on grip. it. Yeah. yeah. And if I've just flipped this open, uh, which you can do to clean it out, you can see that it has not only like lots of little different nodules of gelatinous, yummy jelly there, but it has these harder orbs encased within the silicone coating. Sort of sex pearls. <laughs> it's like a massage. This toy is from their Aroa range. So this oh, is beautiful. a beautiful sort of urchin stroke large garlic bulb, isn't it? I always think that it looks like a really large version of the icing on top of an ice gel. Oh, yes. Yes. Oh, or maybe like a that. shell or a cute little hedgehog thing. And I'm don't, not sure how charged up this is. I'll try and turn it on. Okay. It's a little vibrator, but it's unusual in that I think it's marshmallow soft. Have a little feel. Oh my goodness. Very powerful. Yeah, well, you can turn it down. So, if is you it wish one to. for outer course or do you insert it inside? Oh, no, inside? outer course, surely. That's designed primarily for the outside of the body. These ridges, these like ribs that it have, has on it, enable it to get a little bit of grip because some people do need a bit of friction. I hear from a lot of women who say that hard plastic toys are too slippery for them. You know, if they put them in the right place on their clitoris, it's also going to be very start, hard on those yeah. soft parts. I've got to say, I mean, I like the look of this. Okay, next one. This one, which kind of looks like a camera cap, which has got a bit of plastic stretched across the top of it. This is a real interesting product. It was sent to me a couple of years ago. I would say it has since been superseded by something else that is uh, more reusable. Okay, this is called Flex, and this is designed to be worn by women during their periods in order to catch menstrual blood and keep period sex clean. 
This is designed as a one-use item, so you chuck it after you've used it. There's now a reusable menstrual cup made of a medically safe silicone that's this kind of disc diaphragm shape called the Ziggy Cup, and you can wash that out the same as you would a more traditional goblet-shaped yeah. menstrual cup, and you can also wear that during sex. Is there a real concern about um, messy menstrual sex? Yes, amongst lots of people. Um, some folks just stick a towel down and get on with it. Um, some people, myself included, now I don't know whether there's any medical basis for this, I'm open to input. More horny? I, I find that when I'm, well, we know that some people do feel more horny around their period, but for me what happens is in the specific moment of becoming horny, I find that the flow of my period stops, uh, but it does depend on the heaviness of your particular flow. Yeah. Um, also, you know, lots of people who are sex workers don't want there to be blood with a client or blood on camera in a porn. Of yeah. uh, period blood is still very stigmatised. Yeah. Um, you can get sponge tampons as well, either like natural sea sponges these. or, or yes. um, foam ones. Yeah, they yeah. work brilliantly. The disposable foam ones, though, are quite pricey and you have to be, uh, as with any menstrual cup as well, you have to be comfortable with um, inserting something up inside your body and then and then pulling, pulling it out, yeah, which not everyone is, is cool with. Yeah. Um, but yeah, again, this is an area where we're seeing great innovation. Yeah, brill. So I'm looking at the Womanizer. It's the original Womanizer duo. What's this? Okay, so Womanizer are a German company to contextualise their name. The phrase womanizer doesn't have the same connotations. Womanizer as a company were the first people to develop and patent what they call pleasure air technology. Now, traditional vibrators use a motor to make something hard bash against the skin repeatedly. For lots of people, that gets them to the moon and back very efficiently. But for some people's bodies, they find that that reverberation of a solid surface against their flesh can make them really sore, or it can actually make them numb and they lose sensation temporarily. So what the womanizer does is it has this little like, nozzle mm. that goes over the external clitoris, the glands, the clitoris, and it stimulates it by using little pulses of air to go in and out very, very fast. So you're stimulating without directly touching. The duo bit refers to the fact that in addition to this external clitoral stimulator, it has a, a dildo-y bit that vibrates inside against the G area. By the way, we now know that the G spot is not a, a self-contained organ or anything like that. It's an area inside the body about maybe two or three inches up on the, on the front wall of the vaginal canal, so towards the belly button, not towards the back. And a lot of people now believe that the reason that zone makes so many women moan in an orgasmic fashion is because it's actually pushing through the vaginal wall against those internal hidden parts of the clitoris. Mm. But there is some suggestion that as women reach their 30s and beyond and their estrogen levels start to drop a little bit because the vaginal wall naturally thins it might be easier to access those internal parts of the clitoris so that might be one reason why certain older women report that it's easier for them to have g-spot orgasms oh, or wow. vaginal orgasms so, so yeah this toy i think it looks, it looks like a little spaceship. bit this is the starship enterprise it is the starship without its enterprise. disc very beautiful it and beautiful. it's very very soft 
I love that Bordeaux wine colour. Mm. That one actually has a technology on it as well where it's touch sensitive. So it will only work when you cover the nozzle. Because have you ever had a scenario where you've been interrupted during sex for whatever reason and you're desperately prodding at buttons and turning Stop at dials and trying to get something to turn off and instead you turn it up and it gets louder and buzzier and more So with that ridiculous. air um, addition, the air nozzle, the nozzle has to go around the area of the clitoris. Got you. I have spoken to some women who have experienced FGM, female genital mutilation, and uh, that's a terrible thing that takes many forms. But some women have told me that this kind of technology still allows them to have an orgasm. I've also been speaking to lots of those women who tell me that for them, internal stimulation and accessing those internal parts of the clitoris offers another way of experiencing pleasure and of reclaiming that part of their body. Um, we, there are so many reasons why we need to do more research into female genital anatomy. Yeah. Um, that's just one of the many good reasons that I can name. Um, that bit of kit you're holding there as well, the Womanizer Duo, is named by Lola Jean, who holds the world record for the largest volume of female ejaculate produced by hand within 30 seconds. Wow. 1,215 mils of fluid. Uh, and she cites this as... That's over a litre? Yep. Isn't it urine? There are various schools of thought. Some people say that the liquid produced when women gush or ejaculate or squirt, there are also people who argue that those are all different things, but we can't get into that now. Some people who say it's urine. Some people who say that it is liquid produced by glands called the Skeen's glands that surround the urethra. So it comes out to the same place, but it's not the same stuff. And lots of people, myself included, who think that it's kind of a combination of the two. There have been some studies done, one in which uh, women were asked to empty their bladders and given an ultrasound to show that their bladders were empty, then asked to squirt, and it seemed on ultrasound that it looked like their bladders were filling with some kind of liquid. Uh, Anecdotally, though, lots of women who squirt say, the liquid doesn't have the same smell or colour or consistency. It's kind of a bit more viscous and sticky than we would be. So we, we still need to do more tests. My personal view is, so long as you put a towel down, it doesn't really matter. I mean, until recently, it did have a legal implication. But UK law pertaining to pornography said that it was fine to show male ejaculate, but you couldn't show urine because that was counted as... a uh, obscenity Uh, and was thus illegal. Who makes up these rules? People who don't know a lot about human sexuality, I would argue, uh, or indeed biology. People who don't know. (laughs) Uh, That's now been changed, so female ejaculation is A-OK to watch in porn in the UK. And now I'm picking something up here which I just can't figure out what it is. It looks like it could be like a thermometer. (laughs) It's white, has a little digital screen. What this actually is, is a very early prototype of a product called the Little Rooster, and it's a vibrator alarm clock. What? Um, It looks kind of like a a tiny spade from a bucket and spade that you take to the beach. The, The handle bit nestles between your labia, 
And then the spade bit, if you will, has this little digital screen on where you can set what time you want it to wake you up. And the whole thing sits in your knickers overnight. I was wondering how that was going to stay there. It's an there. alarm. Yeah. It wakes you up. It wakes you up. What an amazing invention. <laughs> Although I have tried a little rooster and I did find it a bit literally alarming <laughs> if you're in the middle of a dream and then you sort of come to whilst coming it's not unpleasant but it is Whoa. a bit of a shock depending on what you're dreaming about it can be a very weird sensation yeah, yeah. so I think I know what this is and hit oh, me oh not for curious couples so the person with a penis wears this sort of soft gooey jelly thing in order to prevent very deep penetration. You've got it. Which is great, I imagine, for people with very long penises or people with very short vaginal canals. This is true. What you're looking at, the O-nut, is a series of really soft, stretchy, squidgy, stackable cock rings. They come in a set of four and you can join all four together and then uh, reduce the size as and when you're ready. They were primarily designed for people who were experiencing vaginismus, but were ready to want to try penetrative sex. But both they and their partner wanted some reassurance that it wouldn't be possible for anyone to accidentally thrust too deep. So they act like a bumper car for the body. Such a good idea. They're brilliant. I've also been recommending these to people who want to try anal sex for the first time, but are worried about their partner going too deep. Um, I think this is just good for fun as well. If you want to experiment with being restricted to only really shallow penetration, it's got multiple applications. And this was actually a crowdfunded sex toy which I think is brilliant. There's a lot of... It's what the people wanted. Yeah, exactly. There's all sorts of really interesting new sex toys and crowdfunding is allowing smaller indie companies to, to test the waters with these things. That's great because, of course, with porn, it's all about thrusting very deep. It's about seeing the full length of a penis. So I imagine companies might think, well, that's not what people are into. They don't want to see shallow penetration. But actually, they want to experience it. Have yeah. you seen the MRI scan? There was basically an MRI scan done, in, I think it was in Germany or the Netherlands, where the MRI scan, the couple having vaginal sex, and you can see his penis literally throwing organs out of the way as he penetrates into the pelvis. If you watch it as a man, yeah. I think it makes you more um, understanding or more compassionate towards a woman that what you are doing physically actually has significant impact yeah. on their organs. Yes. So one would hope you would then become more considerate of the sex that you're having. Well, so. hopefully my little tombola of, of titillation has uh, given you some inspiration and some insight into some of the stuff this that's being developed. This was total edutainment. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One of the reasons why I think we did this podcast is because we were both in long-term monogamous relationships. And what if you're very happy in your relationship, but together as a pair, um, want to explore some of the things that have been opened to you? How do you think people have conversations to say, can we try something else? Can we potentially access a fantasy I would like to, for Mm. example, light bondage or spanking, etc. Even that can seem very challenging for one person to ask for another. I think it's important to recognise that there are really different pros and cons and risks and reassurances of being a single person having a casual relationship or beginning a new relationship where you get to state your current boundaries anew and and lay things out the first time versus being in a long-term relationship. The good things about LTRs, if you will, are that you probably know each other quite well and there's a great deal of trust, which can sometimes make it easier to suggest something new because it means that uh, if it goes wrong, you know that person's still going to be there for you or or you you have experience hopefully of laughing together when something didn't quite go to plan or turned out not to be your cup of tea but on the flip side that means that the stakes are essentially higher it can be even more nerve-wracking to suggest something fresh or uncharted territory to a long-term partner because you worry you think oh if this really turns them off or they're repelled by the idea I've just suggested, my great relationship could be at stake. Something which I hear about a lot are, we know that lots and lots of women, particularly in heterosexual relationships, lie about having orgasmed during sex for all sorts of reasons. Sometimes it's because they want to flatter the ego of their partner and make them feel like what they're doing is is bringing them pleasure. Sometimes it's because they have learned via pornography that apparently the dumb thing is that women come within two shakes of the coochie cannon. But if you've been doing that for a long time, even if you want to change things, it can be really nerve-wracking because you think, well, if I just fess up and tell my other half, then my partner might feel absolutely crushed by that knowledge or they might even question the trust within the relationship. And I was chatting, I was recently at the Cheltenham Wellbeing Festival doing an evening panel talk and we were all chatting about what can you do if you're in a long-term relationship and you have been fibbing about your orgasms, what's ethically the right thing to do or idealistically the right thing and is it okay to tell a white lie to get rid of another white lie. There's a a technique called scapegoating. There are all sorts of legitimate reasons why a person's sexual response may change to something that has always worked in the past. If you change your contraception, if you're going through the menopause, if you're pregnant, if you're stressed, if you're tired, if you're anxious, if you're aging, you know, there's so many authentic reasons why something that worked yesterday or for the last five years may not have the same effect on your body now. One approach 
to dealing with having fibbed about your orgasms is to scapegoat, is to blame one of those things and say to your partner, hey, you know, I've noticed that when we use this particular position or when you do that ramming thing with your first two fingers, (laughs) I don't feel like my body is responding to it the same way. So could we try this? And by using the phrase, my body doesn't seem to be responding, you place a little bit of emotional distance there. You're not saying, I don't like it. Or or your crap. Yeah, or your crap. Yeah, you're saying, my body isn't responding the same way. No, that's not ideal. Yes, it is a lie. But if it's a means to an end, then I kind of think it's okay. It bothers me that I think a lot of sexual advice requires of people that they be extremely confident, ethically ideal, and radically honest. To have that confidence is a privilege. And we really need to recognise that not everybody is either of that character currently or feels safe and cool about doing that. I think it's incredibly difficult to tell your partner, particularly if you've been saying for a long time that that was fun, that it's not fun. Yeah. If they've been kissing you a certain way, you think, for oh, God's sake, like having a tongue washing around my mouth. And, and you don't actually enjoy it. You know, you don't like the way they touch your nipples, they touch your skin. And as you say, you know, after the menopause, often the estrogen levels dropping changes the sensation on your body. They've got to relearn that landscape. And, you know, can you imagine after 30 years telling your partner, actually, the way you touch me revolts me now? Or even if you've been honest and haven't been having fake orgasms, or even if, you you know, you've said, well, actually, no, this isn't working, or, oh, that's painful, or I don't like that, then the fear that can build up, I think, mm. in long-term relationships can be huge because you don't want to hurt each other or you don't want to cause each other discomfort or pain. And so you're frightened that the next time you get together, how can I ensure that this your partner, my partner has a nice time? And I think that that can create a lot of anxiety about having sex, actually. Yeah. One thing that really bothers me is it's really popular amongst sexperts and sex educators to bang on about how important it is to communicate. We all know that. I feel like there is a disconnect between how often we're told to talk and the lack of frameworks for that talking and practical approaches for those conversations that we're given. There's an irony, isn't there? We're told to communicate, no one communicates how we're supposed to flipping do it. So a few few suggestions I have. Ideally, if you can, I think it's really good to talk about sex, not when you're having it. And in an ideal world, not in the same room where you have sex. I I try and keep work and negativity out of my bedroom if I can, because otherwise it can kind of haunt the space, if you get me. If the last thing that happened in your bed was a really heavy conversation about how things aren't working for you, uh, then that emotion can be held in that space. I really like a technique that I've called the care, air, share technique, starting face-to-face conversations. The first thing you do is let your partner know that you care for them. So you might start off the conversation by going, hey, you know, our relationship means so much to me and I really trust you, or haven't we had a lovely weekend? Like something that sets a nice, trusting, pleasant vibe. Then, uh, what's on your mind? You know, though, I've really been thinking that it would be fun to try some new toys together or I've noticed that you seem really tired these days and we're not having as many intimate moments as we used to and I'm missing that or, you know, say what's on your mind. And then the third part, share. Invite your partner to share their thoughts on it. Oh, 
what do you think about that? Is there any ways that I can support you? Or ha has this been on your mind too? Or, you know, let's talk about this together. And that way you're not just springing up on your partner a command or a demand or an assessment that something's terrible. Yes. You are inviting a two-way conversation and turning, turning a problem, if you will, um, into an opportunity for you both to collaborate on something. Um, I recently wrote an article all about perceived sexual incompatibility, which can be a thing either in new relationships where you have sex with someone for the first time and it's not so good and you think, oh, we just don't fit and you give up on it. Or in a longer term relationship, you might think sex has gone downhill, so we've become incompatible. Huh. We don't fit together anymore. And I was questioning in this article whether that's actually a very constructive way to think. And I spoke to all sorts of experts and lots of those people said to me, one of the problems that we have are that we expect that if a relationship is good, then the sex should work automatically in a way that we don't expect of most other things in our lives. In our areas of our work, for example, we expect to work at it to get better at it. But we have this weird idea that sex should fit and mesh and if it doesn't, the problem is that those two people are never going to work or they've stopped working and that nothing can be done about it. If we start thinking as sex as something that we inherently will always have to work on or have periods of having to work on and that that's normal and not necessarily a failure of a relationship or a failure of a person, then we set ourselves up to greet those inevitable problems with a lot more positivity and calm. I hear a lot of advice nowadays which often strikes fear in me about relationships where sex doesn't always have to be good, mm -hmm. sometimes it's duty, sometimes you just do it, you make the time to do it and even if you're not enjoying it particularly you do it because it's a utility shag and it will keep the relationship afloat and maybe you do it not for sexual pleasure necessarily but for keeping the pair bonding going and that it will deepen your relationship in other areas and yeah okay maybe it wasn't 10 out of 10 maybe it wasn't even 5 out of 10 but it will do because it has another purpose and I have to say I don't like this. I feel really tricky about this too. There are a number of sex experts who do have this belief that even if you're not in the mood for sex you should just get on and do it i think just do it is a great slogan for sportswear but less so for sex to be honest yeah because i think it can cause now maybe this is going to sound too heavy it can be traumatic i think it can cause trauma yeah. because if you've had you know pain or whatever and you're just getting on with it because you know what it's for the relationship and then you think well, maybe that's what it's going to be like next time, and the next time, the next time. And actually, it can feed a cycle of pain and anxiety. There is a school of thought that says, if you're not really inclined to have sex on a certain night, then digging deep and, and giving it a good go, for taking one for the team, you if might you might get into it. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes, in very specific sexual scenarios, you can find yourself enjoying something and your sexual response can be stimulated by giving it a punt. However, I think if anyone is really forcing themselves to be sexual when they don't want to, that is bad for them and bad for the relationship, really. It sets awful precedents. There are 
positive compromises that can be reached though. For example, you might have noticed so far in our conversation that I do love baptizing things and I really do like a pun. But I think sometimes uh, giving things names helps people to remember them and it's a good way of getting them into conversation. So I invented a move, if you will, called the Purple Pass, named in honour of Prince, who uh, in the song Alphabet Street says, tonight I'm just not in the mood, so if you don't mind, I'd rather watch. I think Prince is one of the most sexual people on God's earth. I think if your partner's really feeling sexual and you're not, giving them a purple pass, giving them permission to masturbate or to pleasure themselves in front of you while you observe, if that's something you feel comfortable with at that moment, can be a really good solution. You might want to participate perhaps by using a toy on them, but, but something that doesn't require you to be physically involved in a way that you don't feel comfortable with. Or you could kiss them whilst they're doing yeah. the sex act. But that may be more than enough for the other partner to feel loved and attended to whilst they're attending to themselves. I think so much of our approach to sex as a wider society, it would be hugely improved if we stopped equating sex as meaning penetration. We really need to place higher value on intimacy, like sometimes an erotic massage can appeal to both partners, but we we kind of have this idea that it's less than, or we relegate it to foreplay rather than seeing it as a valid sexual act in and in of itself. People who haven't had sex for a while or feel very um, anxious about it, we, I mean, I, I often talk about them um, sort of 10 cosmopolitans. Um, basically, um, one partner takes on the role of the counter. So in their head, they count down 10 cosmopolitans, nine cosmopolitans, eight cosmopolitans, and so on. Whilst they're kissing, the next day, the other person counts down from 10. So you never feel like the one you're always having to count. Matt and I tried this. Do you remember? <laughs> yeah. I told you. And thought it was, and we really enjoyed it, doing the sort of counting to ten and kissing and making sure that you have a snog every day until it became a chore. Did it become a chore? Yeah. Until it became, oh shit, it's time for bed and we haven't had we our... We haven't done the cosmopolitan. We haven't done the snog. Yeah. Okay, I've got a few suggestions here. One thing I recommend to people is kettle kissing. Just kiss for the duration that the kettle is boiling. <laughs> it's not very long. You're probably going to do sod all else in that time. It means you punctuate your whole day, uh, providing you're in the same space, with romantic kisses. Mm -hmm. Another thing I think that can be really helpful if you're trying really hard to keep your sex life fresh, but it's just become like a little bit anxiety-inducing because you're thinking so hard about it, is just cut loose and get stupid. Do something that's physical that makes you laugh and thus brings you pleasure. Because often we separate sex with other forms of pleasure and I think we need to try and make those two things meet in the middle more. Do something stupid like have a pillow fight. Just making yourself laugh can help reduce that anxiety. Also, have you heard of micro-dating? No. Okay, a micro-date is specifically designed for people who have really, really busy days and want to reinvigorate that sense of romance. Um, some micro-dates might include picking a book as a pair and then taking turns to read a few pages to each other throughout the, the week, so you're sharing a story. Or making a pact that whatever uh, you're doing when the sun goes down, that you will hold hands and just spend five minutes taking in looking at oh, the sky. Oh, that's lovely, yeah. Right. Most people can find that five minutes if they want to. Yeah. Or uh, buy some cheap art supplies. I did this with my last partner. If you've got kids, 
pinch their finger paints or whatever and draw together. It doesn't matter if you're shit at drawing. It's just something that most people don't tend to do. So it breaks the routine. It's an opportunity for conversation. If you wanted to make that sexy, then you could do life drawings of each other. Some other ideas might be just make a big deal of eating. No matter what you've made for your dinner that night, do it by candlelight. It will instantly change the mood. I I won't pretend that these micro dates don't take it's not nil energy or nil effort but it's a lot more achievable than a lot of the advice we're given which is uh book you and your partner into a sexy hotel but i think that the pressure put on those sorts of dates that makes it much much worse and when it's a weekend away you've spent all the money you've put the time off and we know that this is the time that we're going to get busy but actually, but, but that pressure can be a turn-off. You might well find that the more of these like mini little things that you can do to brighten and lighten up your general day together, the more that the rest organically follows. I find that about quality of touch throughout the day, that unless there's been a kiss on the neck or at least or a touch on the back or just a sensitivity of touch where we are sexual beings who are sexually attracted to each other, unless there's been that acknowledgement that we are lovers, actually suddenly then going into a bedroom feels like, hold on, oh, what, are we different people now? What, yeah. what is this? I have to oh, have been... sex mode now, <laughs> go! Yeah. yeah. And it's so difficult to switch that on after a knacking day at work or uh-huh. something. But it's much nicer if, for example, we've sent each other a nice little text in the day. Um, just something kind and gentle, because even if it's nothing sexual at all, but if it's just a kind thing that you've said or so that you commented on the fact that they made dinner last night, it was lovely or whatever, it just means that you are much more receptive towards someone else's desire. I think if you're able, and this, this might be more difficult if you have kids, admittedly, um, but when you both get home from work or you both see each other at the end of the day, if you're able just to go for a 10, 15 minute stroll around the block, if it's pelting down with rain, just grab a brolly, it can actually be quite nice, and talk about your work and your day in that time, and then make a pact that when you get home for the second time, then it's relaxing, if possible. Then having that routine and literally getting things out in the open at the end of your day can help to separate what can often be, and lots of people feel anxious in their working day, and, and then get home and kind of projectile vomit all that onto their partner and immediately the sense in the home there is one of feeling laden with negativity. If you can try and get that out during a stroll, then you might feel a lot calmer and more like you're in the mood for love or intimacy once you close the door for the second time. And I mean, totally heightened when you're freelancers working from home, yeah, where there is very little divide between the working day and those stresses. Uh-huh. I mean, all the way through the evening and the, even in the night, you know, there's no escape from it at all. Yeah. So I think that's that's incredible advice, I think, to take it outside. It won't work for everybody. No, no one tip will work for everyone. No. It's impossible for any one thing to be universal. But having an open mind and going, oh, well, let's give it a try. The trying can be fun if your head is in the right place. Yes, the playfulness, not being so serious. Oh, I really think it can be tricky to remember that things should be playful. But if you can manage that, really the point of sex should be pleasure, as you underline in the title of your podcast. (laughs) 
Alex is a brand ambassador for Tenga and Womanizer Masturbation Toys, and she says she wouldn't put her name to anything she wouldn't happily put her genitals on. She's scheduled to reappear as a fetish and pleasure expert on Channel 4's The Sex Clinic, and she's currently working on an audio documentary series about the history of kink for Audible. So keep your ears out. Thank you for listening to The Pleasure Podcast. If you enjoyed this, do share, review and subscribe on iTunes. It really does help other people find us and gives the series a boost. Give us five stars, you lovely lad. Thank you to Acast for hosting us. Matt Peaver for editing us. Ollie Birch for the music. And Gilad Vysotsky for the graphics. Join us next time when we interview another guest for their insights on the relationship we have to our bodies, sex and of course, pleasure. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.